coming up in today's Film Disruptors. You're watching it live and you're making decisions. And that that's what I wanted to bring back to film because that experience was unbelievably freeing to be able to just dial things in, you know, and, and shave weeks and months off of tuning stuff. And so when we built the real-time ray tracer, the the cool miracle wasn't that it's me just rendering in real time and we're watching it. The amazing thing was I was able to do the lighting and material tuning and finish the entire one minute piece in 20 minutes flat. That's when, you know, the disruption light bulb went up. Hello and welcome to season two of Film Disruptors with me, Alex Stoltz. This is the show where we share insights and strategies with you from the artists and entrepreneurs who are redefining film and storytelling. And in this episode, we journey into the future of production with visionary visual effects artist Habib Zagabor. Habib began his career in film at ILM, where he was a two-time BAFTA winner and Oscar nominee. He then moved into the games industry, heading divisions at Electronic Arts, Microsoft, uh, but now Habib is firmly back in the world of film and filmmaking. And with his new venture, Digital Monarch Media, he's bringing the technologies and strategies he learned in games to revolutionize the production process in film. And he's been doing that to empower storytellers like Steven Spielberg for Ready Player One, John Favreau in The Jungle Book, and Denis Villeneuve for the remarkable Blade Runner 2049. This episode is a bit more technical than some of the others in the series, but believe me, it's really worth it. If you want to understand the future of storytelling, the future of the production process, I can't recommend this enough, and I certainly learned so much talking to Habib. If you're enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a couple of ways to stay in touch. Firstly, subscribe on iTunes. Just click subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I believe it is now called, to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop into your phone or your desktop, however you like to listen to your podcasts. You can also sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors at www.alexstoltz.com, S-T-O-L-Z. Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox and this is also where you can access previous episodes find out more about our featured guests and get in touch so that just leaves me to say thank you for listening i really appreciate it and now i'm going to hand you over to habib zagapur and i started the show by asking habib what his company digital monarch media does We harness the power of game engines and apply them on set so that, for example, you could have live motion capture turn into the animals uh, in a film or creatures, and you could do your virtual set design, your virtual lighting, and do virtual cinematography all live, everything in real time. The origins of our work goes back to when I was at Microsoft in 2010. 
we started, uh, I actually uh, was able to hire a team and uh, Wes was joining that team and we we'd created um, a demo for James Cameron at the time with with uh, collaboration from Joe Letary from Weta. And, you know, we, we sat down with Jim and he told us all the things that he would like to improve from what he was doing on Avatar. And when we, you know, I pitched the idea of having a game engine for uh, the way to do this, his sequels. And he really liked the idea. And we did the demo. We met in October 2010 and we did the demo in February 2011. And um, him, him and John Lana really liked what they saw. And, and uh, you know, after that, that was kind of a direction that they started going down as well. And uh, we were able to work with uh, Alex McDowell on Disney's Order of Seven. And then when that project got put on hold, we, we deployed on The Jungle Book. That was the first film that we were able to um, to uh, put our full power on, thanks to Alex to, to get us started on that project as well. And uh, with Rob Legato and, and uh, John Favreau, Rob being the visual effects supervisor and, and, and John the director, uh, Bill Pope was the director of photography. And they would all uh, collaborate using the software on, on a motion capture stage essentially virtually filming the whole movie and having uh, two actors become an animal. It was really magical to see actually. And, and doing all the, all the lighting and visualization of the film and cutting it together and knowing what, what scenes they need to reshoot. And, and John Favreau using the Oculus to look at the set in three dimensions and move pieces around in the, you know, every morning before they shoot. Um, after Jungle Book, we deployed on Ready Player One with Steven Spielberg working on seeing his whole virtual VR land in using VR and or using a virtual camera to film. Uh, the majority of that movie was uh, virtual, so it, was, it made a lot of sense to to have the characters on a motion capture stage. And uh, it's kind of a it's very interesting and cool to, that that you know that he was using a game engine to view this virtual world that would be in a game engine in the future and and how you know VR was used for him to visualize the sets and he would use the virtual camera and our system to basically uh, pipe in the characters live from set or, or pre-recorded and be able to virtually film it uh, with lighting and, and uh, atmospherics and things to make uh, the mood he wants to match and Subsequent to, you know, there's a whole layer. I'm um, not going to go into too much details, you know, not necessarily our focus, but we built something to help um, multiple people work on the same scene. And this really paid off in Ready Player One, where anyone could move anything at any time while Steven was shooting. And it took a few weeks for him to see, see the full power of this, of be able to change whatever he wants on the fly in terms of you know, set pieces, lighting, composition, animation, all of those things. After this project, I left Microsoft and and uh, we formally, you know, Wes, Wes had already started the beginnings of digital market media and uh, as a consultant. And I joined him and we, we basically moved forward and created our own software uh, from scratch, like a 3.0 version, you know, um, it's always better when you, when you redo something with all the learnings and we were able to deploy on uh, Blade Runner with uh, with Denny and and uh, 
reimagine some of the shots on that film. I was brought in as a consultant for visual effects, but you know, doing everything I can to help that help uh, make things look good on that film. And then uh, most recently, we've worked on uh, Tom Hanks's Greyhound, doing the full virtual production visualization for that movie. Uh, kind of changing, changing how how things are usually done. Well, that's. I mean, that sounds absolutely fascinating. But just so I can understand, uh, traditionally, when people are doing visual effects and and uh, visual effects on a movie, it's kind of happens at the end, right? What you're doing is giving the storytellers and the director the chance to bring that to life during the process. Is is that how it kind of works? Yeah, that's correct. So you know, um, <clears throat> I think from 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 my point of view, I always look for what's what's the best way to do something. What's a better way to do something? You know, um, and even while I was at ILM working on visual effects, actually before going to ILM, I always pictured that it was uh, you know people in white lab coats and using a uh, special room full of machines to to light and and render things in real time you know that's just how i imagined it and you know after when i went there i was there for 10 years from 93 to 2003 uh there was 34 people uh there when i joined uh joe Terry being there uh one of the people that hired me um it it it's not you know the visual effects uh world is is more of a slideshow because it takes so long for the machines to generate one image you know the one frame takes an hour takes five hours however long um for you to see the one image and make some creative decisions and you know around the, the time i was working on perfect storm we started getting into more interactive things we actually had a system that could basically run the ship simulations on a pre-calculated ocean in in near real time. And uh, Wolfgang Peterson and John Seale, the director and DP, could could basically react to it and and have us make adjustments. The camera would would be on another ship, and everything would be you know very organic. And that was around the time where the word previs started being coined, uh, or 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 not really the term, but, you know, the actions of what we were doing, you know, figuring out what the shots could look like using uh, completely CG approximations, you know. Um, but I think, you know, the way I thought of it was um, if everything was real time, you would, you would basically be able to perform a shot. This is what's important to me, you know. Um, I always felt like the process of keyframing a camera was would take a lot out of um, uh, the life of a shot. You know, it, it, it's true you can imagine certain things lend themselves to maybe a very smooth A to B move. You know, but when you're on a real set, you know you're you're performing the camera moves. You know, everything's everything's like how the DP reacts to what's happening. You know. And it's, it's hard to fake that. And so the, the origins of all these ideas to me go back to working on Perfect Storm, working on Star Wars Episode One, the pod race, the pods crashing. And then when I transitioned to Electronic Arts, working on real-time games, 
2003, that's where the, the light bulb really went off where, you know, I was interacting in real time with the world, being able to fly around it and compose shots. And immediately we started building camera tools uh, to, to, to basically film things in real time. And, and ever since then, it's been my goal to kind of bring that tech back to filmmaking. So with our tools, the director himself, the director of photography himself, you know, uh, the editor on the project, editorial team, the, everyone, can, uh, the production designer as well, uh, can interact with the sets, uh, find locations that they want to film and actually do some filming, however much they want to get the coverage they want and, and find shots that they, they would want to do, uh, bringing it closer to them directly. That's not to say you couldn't have a, a team that helps them, you know, um, but currently things are done very differently where it's, uh, generated things are, things are done by, um, the visualizations done by an artist or a team of artists. And then those are just handed over as videos. And then the director has to comment on them. And, uh, usually things are keyframed instead of performed. Um, we changed this, um, on uh, the way we did Greyhound, uh, Tom Hanks's film with, um, myself and John Bruno, uh, John Bruno acting as a uh, virtual DP for the visualization. Uh, but we had a team of artists create the content. That's kind of, uh, the same either way you do it, you need the content, but then to film it, we had, uh, master scenes, we called them, which contained all the action in an entire scene. And then we would drop in and do our coverage. We'd film anything we wanted to in real time. And so with, you know, with John and myself, John operating the camera and, and you know, uh, using our software, we were, we were able to do anywhere from 150 to 300 takes a day and all performance, you know, all, all performed and, and, and have, have the director re react to those or the editorial team say what they needed. Um, you know, cut those together and it just changes, changes the process because you're performing cameras and, um, you know, even when we, when Alex McDowell and I worked on order of seven, we thought we're just making the process faster and easier, but actually it changed the outcome. The result of being able to interact with the sets changed the outcome of every artist on the project because they were able to view it as though it's there. And this is, that was even before VR came around. Um, you know, everybody on the production could, could interact with the set and, uh, you know, the wardrobe designer would change their design because they saw how high the ceiling was, or the storyboard artists would need more action from one point to another because they didn't realize it was such a long you know, hallway. And all of these things, um, were possible because they were able to see the sets in a way they hadn't before. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with visual effects visionary Habib Zagapur. And if you're enjoying the show, 
please subscribe on iTunes. In this section, I ask Habib whether these virtual production techniques only apply to effects-driven movies like Ready Player One. Um, no, actually, it can come into effect on any kind of film. Okay. Uh, so, you know, for example, Greyhound was all, uh, is all, you know, live action filmed, but we were able to digitally reproduce the environment, you know, the ship, the, and the, even mocap the characters to where they would need to look at based on positions of other ships. And, uh, you know, you, you can pre-work out what you need to do and what you need to uh, achieve cinemas, you know, with the cinematography. That's not to say you can't change it later or, you know, be spontaneous on set. This is just so you have some idea of, hey, are my lenses going to work? What what are the shots going to look like? How many shots are we going to need here? And especially there there is some visual effects, obviously, because you have the ocean and everything outside the windows. But um, if you have like a live action film outside, you could scan your set, you know, the location where you're uh, going to be filming using drones or just some photography and you can create a basic model of that it just gives you a chance to be much more prepared when you go on set because you've already gotten very familiar with the location uh you know what kind of a dolly is going to fit in the area you want you know how high the boom arm can go what you know are you going to need a technocrane what kind of a camera rig are you going to need because that's what we do. We re- reproduce the real world, the real world cameras and rigs. So you can pick between uh, different ones, or you can build things that match the ones you're going to have. Um, but all of it's so you can explore the filming uh, before you're, you know, burning a lot of money per minute on, on the actual place with you know a crew of a hundred waiting. Um, and you know, it just gives you more freedom to try things and it gives you peace of mind knowing you're prepared when you go there. We just, we just, yeah, we feel, we feel that the process needs to be in the hands of the people that are going to be doing the creation, uh, and the real filming. And so everything we do is to make it accessible for those teams. And that's not to say they can't have a team helping them, but the fact that things are interactive means they don't have to hesitate to jump on it and do another one or change it. And, and so that's the key, I think, to create, you know, having more creativity and better projects. It does sound like though it's, it's almost changing the way films are made. Exactly. And it changes the outcome for the better. That's the key. You know, the second that you're able to explore things, um, you know, we were talking with uh, with Denis on Blade Runner. We had the Vegas scene up for him to try the our drone camera simulation. And, uh, you know, he said he said it take it took them uh, two months to do the uh, Vegas pilot fish drone shot uh, using storyboards, you know, the traditional methods. And and there he was performing it live you know, in real time. Um, it's just a different process. And and we came up with shots to resolve issues um, interactively because he could location scout 
and find the best angle uh, to film things. Uh, what do you think sort of the challenges are to, to to making this more widely adopted? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, it, it, when uh, when we created the first versions of these things in 2010, we were certain that this was going to you know instantly revolutionize how all filming was was being done <laughs> and um it, you know our surprise has been how long it's taken for things to finally happen i mean i've been talking about using these real-time th- techniques for film since 2010 you know i made presentations even uh before then i while i was at electronic arts I showed the real-time camera systems at uh, the DGA Digital Day in 2007. Um, been doing presentations at Seagraph, uh, you know, uh, GDC, all kinds of different um, different ways to try and get the word out for visual effects houses and previous houses to start using these real-time tools. It wasn't until VR came around where they suddenly started seeing some of the light and, and started using the engines and then... Um, you know, it's just been very slow catching on. That part's been been frustrating, um, and I think I'm definitely sensing a momentum now towards that becoming closer to reality. Uh, another thing we did in 2010 was we created a a real time ray tracer at, at Microsoft, which involved 32 GPUs, and it was doing 720p. You know, on a very complex scene. Sorry, so we had yeah, sorry, Habu, Habu, can you, um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what that means. What, what is, what's that? Oh, real-time ray tracing? Yeah, uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, yeah. So uh, there's different ways to render images for visual effects for film. So uh, the traditional methods have been things like RenderMan, where it's, um, uh, uh, it's figuring out... Uh, what surfaces look like based on shaders and um, uh, it just starts from the top doing every scan line and figuring things out with 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 uh, basic math what ray tracing does is it actually simulates the real world lighting so the software actually shoots rays from the light source calculates where they bounce and calculates, uh, you know, the things we call global illumination, meaning like when you have a bounce card and it li- it shines a light on the neighboring surfaces, um, the way that uh, areas that are under shadows, you know, um, when 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 areas are, are get darker because the, there's not not enough light reaching there, there's technical terms for it like ambient occlusion. These are all things that we would, you know, have to fake into in the previous rendering software. But with ray tracing, you don't have to fake anything. It just simulates real world. Hmm. But traditionally, it's been too slow to use in production. You know, it would just not be prohibitive for the quality needed. And we decided to tackle that, but also do it uh, as a real time thing, which kind of sounds insane at the time (laughs) with putting 32 graphic cards uh, to operate as one machine. It was, you know, one room that had enough power and cooling. Uh, But back then, I also knew that the future of visual effects would be 
full ray tracing with no compositing or or practically no compositing meaning uh, what we used to do is separate all the elements into layers when i was at ilm you know you'd have to you'd you'd render the background separately from the t-rex separately from the elements that fly around separately from any digital characters all of these layers you know the sky is separate that's so you could manipulate and adjust them in the composite later because that would be faster and cheaper to do compositing than rendering right rendering Mm -hmm. was expensive and you had to wait overnight to render your whole shot on you know thousands of processes well if you turn that into something that's real time if you're rendering everything in real time there's no reason to put them in layers anymore because it's real time it's faster than you can't have faster than real time like that's interactive uh it's even faster than compositing so but in exchange you get all the interactivities that you wouldn't get the old way by putting things into layers it's very hard to make things react to each other so the creature to shadow the environment the environment to reflect on the creature all of these interactions you'd have to force it to come back uh whereas if you're just ray tracing the entire scene it you just get all of that for free um and so uh eight years ago we made that prediction having tried it and now it's happened most visual effects houses are now doing ray tracing and if they're having fewer layers things are just coming out as like one pass renders and this is what for example the shots in blade runner um, by double negative and frame store uh, this is now you know we've 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 achieved at least the ray tracing part of it we haven't achieved the real-time part of it but uh, at Seagraph, NVIDIA announced that they have a new graphic card, the RTX, that now that allows in a, a real-time ray tracing. So now you can do on one card what we did on 32. Hmm. So that's exciting for us at, at, at DMM because n- now it's not just about previs. Now you can do the viz, mean, meaning this is what we wanted to do in 2010. The reason we built the real-time ray tracer uh, was that this this is how I see the future of filmmaking, uh, for better or worse. Um, it, especially if it's a science fiction film and you you need a lot of sets built, uh, it's very clear now that you can have uh, your virtual set being rendered in real time on set with uh, what we call a simulcam. That's a camera that mimics the real world camera in uh, in the digital world. So. You have your real camera, and as you move it, your virtual camera moves as well. Mm-hmm. And then the director can look on a screen and see the set and his characters and everything he's directing along with the set extension, the virtual set extension, looking near finished. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with Habib Zagapur of Digital Monarch Media. And if you are enjoying the show, why not sign up for updates at alexstoltz.com. And in this final section, Habib gives his powerful and original advice for emerging storytellers. But first up, I ask him if these new techniques are going to be relevant to independent films with smaller budgets, or are they just for big science fiction movies? 
No, absolutely. It's going to enable more of the lower budget films to be able to do more. That's exactly what 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 um, the intended goal is here as well. You have you have projects that you know wouldn't be able to afford a massive set, uh, but all they're going to need is a, a some green screen and this system that's you know uh, way way more within their grasp, and uh, they they need to make the content and bring it in and then you, they're looking at it in real time on set you know and making creative decisions and and, and getting a much bigger production value than they could have any other way and you know the fact that things are real time takes away that expense of of having to render things overnight for two months you know or six months or you know depending on the shot yeah uh, it's just very different and that's what's exciting to me is having dealt with real time uh, all the way back on a PS2, you know, with 32 megabytes of memory for everything, uh, where we had to, on, on James Bond, uh, everything or nothing, we had to fit the entire city with all the geometry and textures and characters and animation into seven and a half megabytes. That's pretty painful. <laughs> <laughs> it's really painful. And then you, uh, we went from that to 512 megabytes on the Xbox 360 and then 8 gigs on the Xbox One, you know. And that, that's one of the things that was exciting for me working on the real-time side of things and interactive side is I could see where it was headed naturally with that kind of speed of progression, you know. By the time we, got, we were doing uh, Rise, Son of Rome with Crytek for Xbox One, you know, the, the capabilities were immense, the kind of things we were able to do visually. I don't know if you've seen that game, but the team did an amazing job with it. Huh. I'm, I'm pleased you, uh, you, you went back to games uh, and gaming because I just wanted to, yeah, to, to, to ask, I guess, you know, having experienced both industries and games have, drawn a lot from film right over in terms of you know in terms of their aesthetics and visual style and that's right you know referencing and stuff and what do you think films can learn from games yeah i think you know the things i learned were you know how, how you know how to work on things differently so for example if you were creating uh, a visual effects uh project Traditionally, you would allocate uh, one or two technical directors per shot and just distribute things that way. And that's kind of how things are done traditionally. Um, but if you were creating, let's say, a digital feature and it's all real time, if it's all being created in real time, uh, you'd have to change that. What you'd have to do is you'd give each scene to a person, you know, one person would light an entire scene because in a game, everything happens interactively within a scene and you can't cheat your angles. You know, you can't uh, move things around per shot. You can't fake those things because someone's going to walk around it. You know, it's very different because you, there, there's no waiting for rendering, right? You're never waiting for rendering. That's just out of the equation. It's it's running at thirty or sixty frames per second. Period. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And then 
it's up to you to tune things and then tuning things in real time was was the key you know to be able to interactively choose settings uh you're done within seconds you know there is no uh wait overnight to see it move you're you're watching it live and you're making decisions yeah. and that that's what i wanted to bring back to film because that experience was unbelievably freeing to be able to just dial things in you know and and shave weeks and months off of tuning stuff and so when we built the real-time ray tracer the the cool miracle wasn't that it's really just rendering in real time and we're watching it the amazing thing was i was able to do the lighting and material tuning and finish the entire one minute piece in 20 minutes flat Hmm. that's when you know the disruption light bulb went off you know it's like <laughs> oh my god what <laughs> this is crazy like i just sat down from us from scratch with a gray scene in maya and i was able to put the lights where i want them adjust the intensities adjust how reflective things are how rough surfaces are all of these things i was able to tune the entire scene and hit play in in 20 minutes i was done now the traditional pipeline would be you know two or four tds for a month or two for that one minute piece yeah yeah with what i what i call the slideshow method you know you you're watching one frame at a time and you have to wait overnight to see it move very cool um habi i'd like to ask you what uh, you know and you, from from your perspective working in in film and interactive and and then with this mission to come back uh and to to bring real time uh back to the filmmaking process what would be your advice to an emerging storyteller uh, someone who wants to create work and it could be it could be a film. It could be, uh, you know, they they could want to tell their story in, in another another format. But yeah, what would you what would you what would you suggest to someone coming into into that situation? You know, I think um, my advice would be to for them to try and create um, a short film using entirely virtual methods. So as though they're making either an interactive game or a VR experience, uh, only because they're going to learn so much by interacting with everything that way um, that uh, it's going to uh, speed up their learning process. And, you know, I myself was dabbling around with uh, creating a visualization for a particular script and uh, using the DMM tools I was able to preview an entire scene uh, starting from scratch in one day. Uh, it took a couple hours for me to put the environment together and uh, did an hour of mocap with a suit I have you know, uh, in my studio. And then I filmed the whole piece using the DMM cameras, virtual cameras, in 15 minutes. I filmed all the shots I needed and then it was an hour of editing in Premiere. Um, mm. And it was incredible 
you know, using our own tools to, for our own projects to try and see, you know, are we achieving what we want, which is like, you know, ease of access, uh, ease of use and instant being able to get as close as possible to just the creative decisions and have the technical stuff out of the way. And I think if any filmmaker created their project, uh, using, uh, real time virtual techniques as though they're creating a VR piece, uh, or a game cinematic, they can experiment in so many different ways. Uh, it's going to be a great rehearsal for the live action real thing. So that was Habib Zagapur of Digital Monarch Media in conversation on Film Disruptors. And if you want to find out more about Habib, listen to other film disruptors or just get in touch, please visit the home of film disruptors, www.alexstoltz.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes and feel free to leave a review. So that's it for this episode. I'd just like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. As anyone listening to this show for a while will know, the business of storytelling is something I'm personally very passionate about. And when I'm not interviewing film disruptors, I love applying this passion and using my expertise to help independent storytellers and filmmakers accomplish their goals and get stories made and seen. I do this by working with storytellers intensively or over a longer period to develop the project and strategy for maximum finance, distribution and commercial impact. If you are a filmmaker or storyteller and would like to find out more about how I can help your project, I'd love to hear from you please go to alexstoltz.com or just drop me an email at alex at alexstoltz.com.